Good morning. Did y'all have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah. <laughs> the um, we're going to start the Advent season in this year different than what we normally have done, where we just kind of uh, different did our you know whatever study we were doing at the time. Uh, this year we're going to look at uh, the different themes of Advent season. Uh, the first one is hope. The second peace the third love, and the fourth joy. And so we'll, we will look at each one of those, and hopefully uh, as we move through, it will be a blessing uh, to you, and you will uh, learn things that you maybe haven't thought of or just be encouraged or challenged in certain ways uh, in that regard. So um, I want us to pray together, and then we will get started. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for just um, an understanding of this morning where we might be hopeless, where we might be discouraged, uh, that we might see those. Some of us here uh, may on this day look at things and say, oh, I'm good, and yet not really think about where they are spiritually, uh, where they have been, and some of the things that maybe uh, they have tried to find hope elsewhere, and so they think, They have hope, but they don't. I pray today would be a reminder of our great need for the hope of the gospel, that we would treasure it, that we would walk in it, that we would not run to other things that appear to give us hope that do not. And we just pray you would open our eyes to see that. In Christ's name, amen. How many of you kids uh, have ever received a gift at Christmas? Can you raise your hand? If you've ever received a gift? You, okay, there, there's like older kids, like here, I'm an adult kid, I still get gifts, you know. Um, how many of you have like hoped that you would get a certain gift? Some of you may get everything you've ever like wanted, but how many of you really thought, I wish I could get this, and could you raise your hand, let me know, and you just were hoping that it would show, yeah, yeah, most of you here. Um, it's um, one of those things, and I've mentioned it probably multiple times, like as a kid, that I had, uh, the, probably the, the thing that I remember hoping that I would get is a 22 rifle, which I think I've told you that, and uh, it, it was, I'd ask for it and, and kind of hope for it, my dad said, you're a little young, uh, not sure that you can handle that kind of responsibility, not sure you can hold it that well, it's just probably not the best time for you to get that, and so I sat there hoping for a month or so, or whatever it was, that I would get this 22 rifle, and then uh, I sat there around the Christmas tree, they're passing out gifts, all the gifts are passed out, I'm sitting there wondering, like, I didn't really get much this year, and then my dad, like, says, what's in that box over there, and I kind of move around the tree, and to my surprise, there's the name Ruger on this box, and I knew then a 1022 must be behind it, so I opened it up, so excited, and uh, it was such a wonderful uh, time for me, and my hope was realized. That's just the reality. And so, has everything I've ever hoped in been realized in this life? No. Are there times where you say, you know what, I hope my husband or wife will start doing this. I hope that I can, like, sleep better this year. There's things that are just worrying me. I hope that tonight, that when I cook this meal that I want to cook, that it turns out just right. We have things like that, where we say, we use hope 
all the time. I mean, that's just the reality. We say those things. We hope in those things. Whether they'll come out, you know, we don't know. I was thinking about my dad, uh, you know, when I think about the hope that was realized, I thought, what are the things that could have gotten in the way of him uh, doing that that year? And my dad and mom giving me that 22. What, what could have gotten in the way? One is um, an emergency could have come up. And that money spent on that 22 could have had to, or needed to be spent somewhere else. Another might be that he could have had an accident and ended up with amnesia thinking that I wanted something totally different, right? That would be an option. Another would be when he got the money together and saved it up to go and buy that for me, he could have gotten there and it would not be there. It would have been sold out. So it wouldn't have been something I could have gotten. Uh, Another could have been while we were at Christmas Eve service, somebody could have broken in and stolen that 22 rifle, right? Another thing that could have happened is he had decided, you were too young, I'm not buying that for you. Or even bought it and set it in the closet and waited until another year. There could be all kinds of things that happen, but here's the thing. And all of those with good intentions would allow my hope not to be realized in that moment. Biblical hope, though, that's, that's, not, that's not how it works. God doesn't say, well, I don't think you're ready for that in that way. Like, uh, salvation, I just, I'm not sure that when we think in terms of biblical hope that, that God is saying in redemptive history, he's saying, you know what? I don't think they've been good enough for salvation this year. Right? I don't, you know, I don't know. Sending Jesus is a costly thing. Not sure I want to do that for those sinful people. I'm not sure I want to save them. I don't think I have the resources. I don't think I have the strength to do it. It's it's something that I can't figure out. It's not like that with God. He doesn't say, well... Maybe. That's not how this works. That's not the biblical storyline. If you've read your Bible and you're studying it, it's not as if he is incapable of doing it. It's, it's not as if like he's not sure whether he wants to do it. It's not as if he's saying, like, I'm not going to make a promise to you about that. I'm not going to do that. That's not the idea of biblical hope. Biblical hope is grounded in the promise of God. That's what biblical hope is. It is grounded in the promise of God. You say, well, I don't know. I've never seen any promises. Okay, we'll look at some. But it's important that you understand that. It is grounded in the promise of God. When God says He is going to save a people for Himself, when He makes that promise, He never lies about what He says He's going to do. And he's completely capable of doing it. So you could think in terms of character does not stop God. Time does not stop God. Ability does not stop God. Biblical hope is grounded in the eternal God who never lies and always accomplishes what He promises. 
So again, for me growing up, my dad didn't make any promise. He said it might happen this year in a way. You might be ready this year. But that's not when we're thinking about biblical hope. God is saying, I'm making a promise to do this. I will bring it to pass. And I, there's not anything that's going to get in the way. Because I'm God, I'm eternal, I'm all-powerful, I'm all-knowing. I always do what I say I'm going to do. It's not like I say one thing and then do another. And you, might, you may have grown up with a father like that who said he was going to do this. He was always making promises. He was just loose with his words. He was always saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I'm gonna... And it's like, what? He never did any of those things. But that's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is grounded in God and in His faithfulness. So today, we will see the promise that God makes and then follow it by seeing how God has kept His promise in Jesus Christ. That, that's just important to know. And so that promise that He's made and kept grounds our understanding of the future coming of God. And so I think that's helpful. Hopefully you will see it. And if you were just to kind of come away with one thing, I would say everyone here should put their hope in God who never lies as we reflect on the fulfillment of God's promise in the first coming and as we look forward to the second. It should be the grounding for us in hope we are standing on the promise of God so let's do that real quick let's just look at the first promise that I want you to see the promise to the serpent Genesis 3 15 you can write them down you can like flip through with me or whatever you want to do but it's interesting this is a curse on the serpent but a lot of people say hey this is the first evangelistic message in the Bible you, you hear that the first evangelistic message in the Bible. You ready? I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What's he saying? He is saying that Satan, you may have brought, introduced in these things and Adam and Eve may have fell, but there's coming one from the woman who will bruise or some would say crush the head of the serpent and his heel might be bruised but he will smash his head the serpent will be overcome and everything that came with that sin death hell the the grave all of that satan all of that dominion will be regained satan's victory over humanity is temporary all those things will be done away with this hope that we're talking about is grounded in a promise and the promise is that the serpent's head will be crushed the promise is that satan will be defeated the promise is all the troubles of the fall will be overcome by someone coming and restoring what was lost taking back, in a sense, what was lost. Right? It has this idea of a king standing over his defeated foe. Second, so again, we should say, put your hope in God. He never lies. As we reflect on his first and second coming, just drive your minds to that. Hold fast to that. 
the first thing that we look at when we're thinking about putting our hope in God is the very first step, the promise to the serpent where it is clear that God is going to rescue. The second one is the promise to the patriarchs. Now, when you hear patriarchs, you may not use that term all the time. It's fine. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those three. The promise is repeated to those three. Right? And so when we see that, I think it's important. And we're just going to kind of quickly move through that. But Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. What's he saying? There are all these people living in the world. Do you understand that? Like, there are bunches of people living in the world. Abram is out there living with his family among pagans. God says to Abram, go up from your country. That is, leave your family. And you come out from them. He is calling out to him. And he is saying, Abram, come, I'm going to show you what I have for you. I'm going to make you a people. I'm going to give you a place. And I'm going to bless you. Abram, come out from them. And he calls him out into a new place. He gives him a new identity. He gives them an inheritance, a, a future, all those things. He says, come out. He makes a promise to him. Land, people, blessing. This is really what the whole of biblical history stands on. Genesis 12, 1 to 3 is that place where you say, okay, I understand. God is calling out a people for Himself that He will bless. And those who do not honor Abraham and his offspring, they will be cursed. Now you say, was that one thing God said? He made that promise but he's not able to fulfill it. We said, no, 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 God can fulfill it. Well, what about this? Abraham might die, and then how's that going to be fulfilled? I don't know. He's going to fulfill it. That promise to Abraham stands. God made it. It stands. Genesis 17, 19. God said, now here's the thing. Abraham didn't have any kids. It was a big struggle for him. Trying to understand how is this promise going to work out. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. What's he saying? I'm making a promise to Isaac. Did Abraham have other children? Yes. But what was the promised child, the the child of the promise, Isaac? And to Isaac, he makes a promise. And the promise, in a sense you could say, is narrowed down a little bit. It's becoming clear that there is this specific one. Genesis 35, 11-12. So we said, we're talking about these patriarchs. 
And the promise given to Abraham is, is in a sense, you could say, repeated. But I just want you to see that. And God said, he is speaking to Jacob, whose name will be Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Is, he a, is, he a, is it possible for God to fail at what he says he's going to do? No, he's God Almighty. And he never lies. And he is true to everything he says. Every time when he makes a promise, he fulfills it. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. Have you ever heard that before? That's a phrase to think about. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. What's he saying? He is saying the promise made to Abraham is the same promise made to Isaac is the same promise made to you. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what do you see? They are going to be a kingdom. There's dominion. And there's going to be a future. There's dynasty. And both of those things say to you, God makes promises. God keeps promises. Again, when we're thinking about Christmas and you're thinking about like gifts and you're thinking, oh, I really want this. And your parents might say, oh, we'd really love to give you that. There's limitations for them. But in this sense, this is God saying, not you saying, I want this, I want this. This is God saying to Abraham, come out, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to bless you. And in you all the families of the earth would be blessed. God is doing the work here. Actually, if you study Abraham's life, it is not a bilateral covenant where over here you say, I'm going to do this, and over here you say, I'm going to do this, and we say, okay, let's make a covenant together. It is a unilateral deal, and this is what happens. When it's time to make covenant, usually the two parties would stand there and say, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. In this, the, the, this, this thing with Abraham, God makes a covenant with Abraham, and he says he will do it. Abraham is sitting there watching as God passes through and says, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. God makes the promise to Abraham. And He will bring it to pass. Now you keep going you say, okay, I understand there's all these kids. But we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons. And those 12 sons will be a part of the nation of Israel. But within those 12 sons, when we talk about there will be a kingdom, like we kind of think, how's that going to work? Well, when Jacob is sitting down and giving a blessing to all of his children, in Genesis 49.10, in Genesis 49.10, it says, the scepter, it's like a prophetic thing for some, it seems like a blessing for others of the sons, like kind of curse-ish. But the whole chapter of chapter 49 is kind of laid out before us. But he says to Judah, and Judah was not like this rising star. If you study Genesis 38, you'll be like, Judah, good night. 
He's the last person to make a king. He like abuses his power. All the, I mean, just, are you serious, Judah? Or is that real? You know, Genesis 49. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So what's happening? God is separating out from that nation those 12 tribes, a specific thing for Judah to do. He will be the kingly line. And we'll see that fleshed out as we move forward. So I would say today, everyone should put their hope in God, who never lies, as we reflect the fulfill, on the fulfillment of the promise in His first coming and look forward to His second coming. And you say, where did the promise start? The promise started in the garden. The promise to the serpent was a promise that blessed all, of, all who would throughout history believe in the gospel. The promise to Abraham and to the patriarchs. And now the promise made to David. So we're kind of, we continually kind of remind ourselves, what is biblical hope? What does it mean to hope in God? Well, you hope in something that you know about, which is something God has revealed. And that is revealed in His promises that are made. That is the hope that we have. 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish His kingdom. He shall build a house for My name and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. Now, this is interesting. In one sense, when you read this, you think, oh, he's talking about Solomon. Which he was. David had a bunch of kids. I mean, he did. But Solomon was the one. And so Solomon is the son who becomes the one who will lead the people of God. But not just that. There's something greater. Someone greater than Solomon here. And so it's pointing to something that is happening and something that will happen. I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. He is speaking later, we will see, of the Lord Jesus Christ. The house He will build, build will not be just an earthly temple. It will be a heavenly one. And it will be made up of spiritual stones, Ephesians 2 says. And we will be those stones, right? All those who put their faith and hope in Him. Again, we see this throne, this idea of kingdom, this idea of reign. We see the length of reign. It, again, the idea of dominion and dynasty are on display before us. God makes promises. The promises are grounded in uh, everything that He has said. You keep building promise after promise after promise. And you say, how do you hope? You hope in the promises of God. Now, you might say, okay, God made all these promises. How do we see it all fleshing out here? Well, we saw the promise to the serpent, the promise to Abraham and to the patriarchs, the promise to David, and then I would just say the promise realized. In Matthew 1, verse 1 and 2, if you were to go to the first chapter, first verse in the New Testament, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What's the author doing? 
What's the author doing? He is tying together all those promises that were made. And as you begin the New Testament, he says, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now here's the thing. You want to look at what we talked about earlier? Just see it real quick. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers. You see, he's picking up this people, these people who experienced this marvelous work. He's picking them up where God had said, I'm going to do this. He's picking them up and putting them before you. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of God. Paul will bring that up again. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to, the God, to God and for His glory. Now here's the thing. Think about that. The Bible. Think about this, the narrative. The broader narrative. The larger narrative. The Bible is... God created a world, it was good. Man rebelled. God made a promise to fix the rebellion, to restore order, to crush the head of the serpent, to make things right. He made a promise to do it. That promise in Genesis 12 is centered around Abraham and his offspring. And what he says is, I will bring to pass the rescue of you, a people in your, your people from your family forever is kind of the picture here. Now, what, what, we, what do we say about that? We don't have time to work all that out, but I just want you to see that. The promise was fulfilled in Christ. But listen to Galatians 3, verse 16 and verse 29. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Verse 29, and if you are Christ, that is, if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is hope realized. This is what it means for you to say, I don't know, do I have any hope in this life and the one to come? I would say to you, if you hope in Christ, you do. You have assurance. You have hope. You, have like, you will not be disappointed. God is not like your family member that's always making promises but never keeps them. God is not like your friends that are telling you, oh, I'll do this, I'll do that, and they're just spouting off at the mouth and not really intending to do anything that they say they're going to do. God is not limited by the fact that He can't stand forever. God is eternal. God is mighty. God is able to do what He says that He will do, and He always does what He says that He will do. God makes promises. God keeps promises. And we can stand on that. We Really, when we make a promise, there are so many things 
that could get in the way of us fulfilling what we say we're going to do. We should always, when we say we're going to do something, seek to do it with all our might, but there are limitations. With God, there are no limitations. So we should put our hope in God who never lies. And we should look at His promise fulfilled in Christ. All the promises of God find their yes and amen in Him. We're looking back at the first coming, looking forward to the second coming, standing on the rock-solid foundation that God made promises in the Old Testament and He fulfilled them in the New. So, if you want hope for 2020 and beyond, put your hope in that. Last night I was telling the stories about uh, the, the kids the story about Queen Esther in the Bible. And uh, as I told the story, I was just, you know, it's the only book in the Bible, I think, that doesn't mention God. You know that? And so I'm telling the story, and there's this place where, of course, Mordecai, uh, Esther's uh, uncle, kind of calls upon her to stand. And he says, if you don't stand, God is going to bring about deliverance for His people. So you should stand and do what you should do anyway. And she says, I will go do that, and if I perish, I perish. She's standing on the promise of God. She is hoping in the God who never lies. She knows that even if it costs her life, she will be standing with the people of God. So I think for us, sometimes it's just a reminder just to say, in the present, God is with us. Christ is with us. He is for us. In the future, we look forward to a day where there will be no more sorrow or pain or difficulty. Hope in God. I want you to listen to these words in Colossians 1, verses 13 through 23. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. You put your hope in God. You will never be disappointed. If you would stand with me at this time.